Let's talk about the rise of Skywalker. Now, I'm not going to go full spoiler alert right here because some of you might have seen it, but let's be honest. If you have yet to see this and you're a Star Wars fan, then you're not living life well. And that maybe is the first aspect of forgiveness that you need from the Lord during the new year. So go to the theater with the fam. This is the completion. I was born in 1975, which is when Star Wars came to being, right? So it's like my life is intertwined with this. So going into the theater, I was like, this is going to be the culmination of everything that it ought to be. And I'll admit that I left somewhat disappointed. I mean, yeah, the story wrapped up nicely. There was some action. I'm sure on a second viewing or a third viewing, I'll be okay with it. But this is really the bigger issue I have. So now I'm going to actually not spoil this movie, but the previous movie, The Last Jedi, which is the most underrated movie in the franchise. But the reason why, and that's where, wow, you see, unfortunately people in this church are more passionate about Star Wars than they are for Jesus. But we'll also ask forgiveness for that this year. But here's the issue. The Last Jedi was panned by some people because whereas some of the Star Wars, it's like nice and flighty, this one was a little dark, you know, actually, that's the way that my daughter says. She goes, it's just, a, it was heavy. It was a lot. But the one thing it also did was it messed around with the story to try to upset a lot of what made people excited about it. It tried to take some of the traditions and undermine them and say, hey, this is a new thing. Let's embrace that it's a new thing. And perhaps what is now one of my favorite quotes in Star Wars canon, and I really don't know it that well so as much of you guys, like some of you, I have not watched like the cartoon Star Warsy stuff, but we have the Disney Plus, so maybe I'll have, you know, a little bourbon and watch that. I don't know. But basically, my favorite quote now is Luke Skywalker in the last Star Wars, because that's what the point of it was, is that this is not going to go the way that you think. And that movie did not, and then it was like they made the new movie, and it's just like, let's just pretend that never happened. Let's get back to where we really needed to be. So in some ways, it just ruined that whole story. But as much as I want to downplay this aspect of what people want in their stories, it's just this idea that many of us like the nice little tidy narrative, right? There's bad, there's good, there's conflict, but eventually the good is going to win because evil is dumb, which is kind of a Spaceballs play out, but nobody, that was like my, anyone? Okay, good. Thanks, Kristen. I'm with you. Okay, we are starting the new year where we left off the previous year. You're just going to have to hit me up, Dylan. It's a lot of work today. We're, we're going through our series behind the scenes. So we're coming back to this, which is the book of Acts. And where we're at today is, and it's going to start in Acts chapter 6, and it's in the 770s. I was working my way there either. I think it's 775? Page 770, yeah, we'll, we'll go page 775 in your blue Bible, or we're going to char- start in Acts chapter 6. The reason that we're doing this series is because the Bible tells us how the church got started, and many of us have these flowery pictures of how we think the Bible plays out and started, but the reality is, is that there's a lot of grittiness to this, and this is one of the reasons we wanted to talk about it, because let's be honest, Echo's pretty much a gritty church, and it kind of matches our DNA, so we're just trying to be maybe more biblical than we even know what it is. But before we start into that, what I like to do is to make sure that we're all at the starting place. Because this is a new year, we have some people with us, and then we always want to make sure this, is that some of us are in different levels of our faith, of our understanding, some of us are on the front end, some are on the back end. It's never bad for us just to remember the context of what happens. So when you're looking at the Bible, you'll see that there's basically a flow of it from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And if you're coming into this, the Old Testament starts with creation and then the rising of Israel, which is God's people. How they went from just individuals to become a nation. And that's the scene 
into which Jesus comes in the New Testament, right? And Jesus' conflict is primarily with the religious leaders of the day who do not believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah that the Old Testament talked about. He dies, he's resurrected, and the followers of Jesus then are guided by Jesus. And we've talked about this previously, if you're new with us, is that we say the hero of the Acts of the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to guide the church into becoming what it was. Started 2,000 years ago in something that still exists today. So that's the flow of the Bible. Now here in Acts chapter 6, we're we're coming back to the story uh, with this narrative of a man named Stephen. And, you know, some of you don't know me. My name's Steve. I go by Steve for short. But I'm actually, my legal name is Stephen, the biblical name. This is why your new lead minister, Kelly, is not teaching today. Because I was like, look, this is my text. I want to talk about it because I am best qualified because I am named John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt, right? So this is why you're going to get a lot of Kelly in the year to come. She's going to have plenty of times to tell you her thing. But today I get to come back into the book of Acts by talking about my namesake. What? what? All right, we good? So that is where we are starting here in Acts chapter 6. You might remember last year we began Acts chapter 6 by talking about the choosing of different leaders to come and lead in the local church. One of those was Stephen, and this is where we pick up the story, starting in verse 8, I believe, here. I have to look up verses 8 to 10 here. Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power, did wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from, and there's this this depth of who it is, but basically the religious leaders of the synagogue. And they began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. This is why I am who I am, because I was named after him. And this text describes who I am, so respect me. As a man full of grace and wisdom, capable of many powers, be amazed. I did not get actually any of those. However, Stephen had it and recognized that he did not have it, even though he has the best name that was ever created. But he had it because he was a person who admired and pursued Jesus. And because of that, and because of his testimony of that, God lifted him up to be able to do amazing, miraculous things. So remember then that as the church was started, they were a subset within the larger religious tradition of the day, which was Judaism, and there were Jewish leaders in synagogues, and many of the churches started out of synagogues, but there was resistance, because they did not necessarily believe that Jesus was who he said he was, the Messiah, and that brought forth tension. The issue, though, is that not only is Stephen preaching this, but he's performing miraculous deeds, and we know those are attributed to God, and God doesn't necessarily you know, work with people who conjure his name who are opposed to him. So it's a point of tension for them. That's why as we continue reading on in chapter 6, and I think this is a two-slider, Dylan, verses 11 through 14, I'm just going to read here because this will be the year, by the end of the year, I will have bifocals or cheaters, and I will have to carry them up on stage, but until then, I'm going to look at the big words on the screen because I'm full of grace and power. Then the religious leaders secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin, and they produced false witnesses who testified 
This fellow never stops speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to that. I've highlighted these two things because this is the contention that they have against Stephen. Okay, you know, he's doing miraculous signs. They can't explain that, but they don't like what he's saying. And actually, as they're arguing, they have no good arguments. So their only response is, let's make up stuff on this dude. And why are they making up stuff? To be able to pin him and to be able to put something on him that will raise the rest of the religious leaders to the point where they will too become irate. And the the accusations are that Stephen was speaking against the holy place and against the law. Next slide, Dylan, because I want to circle this. Why, Why were they concerned about that? Because this position attacked two of their most fiercely held beliefs. One was this place, which was the temple of God, And the other one was the customs, which was essentially the law that had been handed down to them. So we understand that these accusations must have worked because Stephen, because of this, is arrested. Chapter 7, verse 1. The high priest, who you can imagine, is he's the high priest. He's not just a priest. He's the high priest. He is the chief religious leader of the day. He's acting as judge, and he asks Stephen... Are these charges true? So what's interesting is that because you know, this conversation is started as a preface to say, we're trying to seek the truth, Stephen. Is this there? But the reality is, if you could see what happened at the end of, the land, at the end of chapter 6, these are trumped up charges that are meant to peg Stephen. And understand this about the, the, the context of the day. So the Jewish leaders had charge over their people, but at the same time, they were still subject to the Roman government, which ruled the rest of the world. The Roman government allowed autonomy for the Jewish leaders. It was some of the only religious sects in the ancient world that were allowed to operate in the Roman Empire on their own recognizance, and they had the ability then to put Stephen on trial, and not only that they could actually sentence him to death. So this is very serious conversation. Do we just picture this? Have you ever felt wrongly accused? Have you ever felt like somebody, you know, brought you up on charges and they said that you said or did something and you were angered about that? Like, how did you respond? You know, was it a tersely sent email, you know, with, you know, whenever you include as in my prior email is like the oh snap moment, right? Because that means like, you know, I'm coming down on you. Or do you just go on social media and just have some ambiguous tweet? It's like certain people who do certain things are not certain certain glass houses, right? Like we, we all have ways of dealing with this. Now what I love about Stephen though, because you know, this is before social media, maybe he would just would have tweeted something. However, What he does, if you look in chapter 7, he begins to talk, and he doesn't start to defend himself, but actually what he does is he preaches a sermon. I love it. And actually, this has caused scholars to say, there's got to be something wrong with this text, because Stephen is accused of this, but he goes into a sermon. But I'm going to offer you that actually, the way that he answers these charges are embedded within the sermon. So what, what I want to do is there's three parts of the sermon. I would love to read through all this, but if you're looking in front of chapter 7 right here, there's just a lot of words right here. What I want to do is break it down so we best understand it. If you want to go back and read it on your own, you are allowed to do that. You're allowed to read the Bible outside of this gathering. I grant this as first gentleman. But I want you to see the three parts of this that will interplay with this. The first 
section he talks about in his sermon, going back through Israel's history, is about the patriarchs. And that's what he does, verses 2 through 19. I've got a picture of Abraham, you know, who's raising his hands aloft right here because this is what a patriarch is supposed to look at. If you go back into the Old Testament and you read the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis is, is a story about creation, but then it goes into the story of the patriarchs. Here's Abraham, who is, you know, one of the most influential people who have ever lived because from his lineage sprouts uh, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism, like three major world religions claim Abraham as a father. So this was something that unified both the new believers, the Christians, and the Jews to whom Steve was arguing right now, is they held up these people as great influential figures. But what Stephen does is he talks about Abraham and his son Isaac and his son Jacob. And then he talks about all of Jacob's sons. There were 12 of them for which the 12 tribes of Israel were named, what he said is there was tension within this family and there was an issue is that even though the patriarchs were people called by God, they did not always live their lives according to what God did and said. This is something that both Christians and you know, you'll see the rabbis struggle with this in Judaism, but something that we need to recognize when we look back into the scriptures, the people that God calls, we might think that they're important, but when you look into their stories, many times they're scumbags. Like even Abraham, who was supposed to be the highest of, of high, you know, Abraham like tried to whore out his wife. And not only that, then, you know, when he was like, hey, God promised the kid, it's not happening. And his wife said, well, maybe you need another woman. He goes, that's a great idea. So Abraham, even though he is this person who is raised up above all else, Abraham's lacking. And that's why in the sermon, Stephen says in Acts chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, so this is the great-grandson of Abraham, they sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. The story of the patriarchs are not supposed to show how they were holy, but more so the fact that there was a holy God who protected them even when they did dumb stuff. And what's interesting is if you look at the history of God's people, the darkest episode is Egypt. And Egypt is the land of slavery. If you have Jewish friends, they celebrate Passover every year, and that is supposed to be the victory from slavery. But Egypt itself is a dire position to be in. How did they end up there? Because the patriarchs sold one of their own into slavery, which then sold the entire nation into slavery. Stephen starts by talking about the patriarchs. But however, this is the story of what God does bigger in the Bible. This is a bigger story because what God does is he takes the dumb and he makes it better. So even when they're in Egypt, he raises up somebody. So what Stephen goes on to is talks about Moses and the law. And that's in verses 20 to 43. And you'll see, you know, Moses here, I, 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 I resisted the urge to put a picture of Charlton Heston up there because he still to me is Moses. But you, you, you get many pictures of Moses and religious iconography. But this is angry Moses, Right? Well, first we know God called Moses to lead his people out. Stephen talks about that. It's like God provided you a deliverer. He brought you out and he took you to the mountain. And Moses said, just stay here at the bottom of the mountain, guys. I'm going to go up and talk with God. And he's going to give us something that will blow our minds. And God says, yes, here's my law. Why was the law important? Because it was God's word to his people. Not only was he their God and they his people, but he gave them a a, a structure by which to live. 
And Stephen actually preaches this part in his sermon, is that as Moses comes down to the mountain, he's just like, hey, what's going on right here? Looks like a party. Yes, it's a party. It's a good pagan party, where they just said, you know what? Moses might be dead. That's a big mountain. We better make up a new god right now, just in case. Like, let's hedge our bets. So they took all this gold they plundered from Egypt, they made a calf, and they started worshiping that. In Acts chapter 7, verses 35 and 39, we see This charge that Stephen makes about this episode is that they, God's people, rejected Moses with the words, who made you ruler and judge of us? He was sent to be the ruler and delivered by God himself. Our ancestors refused to obey Moses. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. So what Stephen is trying to do here is say, look back at our history. In our history, how were the first people who were giving the law of Moses, how did they respond? And they responded by saying, screw it, you're worthless, we should be in charge. Now here's the irony of all of this. Why Stephen is on trial interplays with this thing. What is this about? The law, and it's something that the religious leaders of the day held high. Why did they like the law? They loved the law because it provided them power. There's a hierarchy, friends, that is existent sometimes within a religion where people can use the power of God to exert control for themselves. And not only were the Jewish leaders about this, but also, you know, churches sometimes do this. We use God. In essence, this is us taking God's name in vain, and we say, well, the Lord told me this. Ergo, you need to be, listen to me. The conflict that the religious leaders of the day had against Jesus was if Jesus was Lord, their power was gone. And friends, through thick and thin, people will do what they need to do to maintain their own power. And it's sad. And you know what, can I, can I, real talk, real talk, beginning of the year, real talk. Go to that previous slide. Now, this is what I like, is that, you know, we, we were like, look, they had the law of God, and they, they had a deliverer, but then they, were, they rejected him and did what they wanted to do. I was talking to somebody earlier right now going through some job issues, and basically was jobbed over at their job. Like, none of us can relate to that, Right. Like, you're always at work, and you're like, oh, this person has the best of me in mind, and we just have to be brutally honest. We said, no, they don't. Like, they might care for you and love you, and they might think you're great, but friends, at the end of the day, humans tend to see narratives through their own lenses. Like, how often are you wrong? Like, somebody here is like, I'm wrong all the time. No, you're like, in your mind, everybody else is wrong. I am right. It happens in every relationship that we have. I do it all the time. Like, I'm, I believe that I am right 98.6% of the time, and the only reason I leave that 1.4% out there is just, you know, just to save me, just so I can be less imperfect, right? Like, I'm hedging my bets. No, I am wrong all the time. I think I'm the hero of the story, and therefore, I will lift up things that make me look better. I'll job somebody, I have a job if it benefits me, right? So what I need to recognize is that, look, it, the, the, the story of Acts and of Jesus, this is not that the church was righteous and holy. This is not that the Jews were evil. It's just that we were all flawed. We were all flawed. And then how are we delivered? You know what one way the Jews thought they were delivered? Next slide, Dylan, was the holy dwelling, the, the ta- tabernacle in the temple. So as the Jews were going from Egypt to their promised land, 
God said, hey, build a, a, a worship tent to take with you. And I'm going to tell you, this was actually fascinating because we have the dimensions of it today. And usually, God's lived spatially. So it would have made more sense for God's people to worship the pagan gods on the way to the promised land. And God said, nope, I'm your God. I go with you. That's why I'll be with you in a tent. In a tent. And then, hey, now that you have the holy city of Jerusalem, you're going to build my temple and I will be there in permanence. And that was why the temple was, was elevated to such a high point. And again, why are the religious leaders protective? Because the temple was also their livelihood. Because as long as the temple was elevated, then their positions were elevated. And this is where Stephen just goes medieval on him. I love it. And actually, not from Isaiah chapter 6, but from Isaiah 66, which we were going to read, which Isaiah 6 too is, that's good stuff. But Isaiah 66 is what Stephen quotes in Acts chapter 7, verses 48 and 49, where he says, The Most High, the Lord doesn't live in houses made by hands. As the prophet Isaiah said, Heaven's my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? What God says is, Look, I cannot be contained. I gave you this house to center your worship on me. You started to worship the building more so than the God that lived in the building. And you need to realize that if this temple no longer exists, it's not like God goes on siesta. He is still there, which is interesting because in about 80 years after Stephen does this, that temple is destroyed and there's nothing. Actually, the temple is destroyed 30 years after this, but the city of Jerusalem's destroyed 80 years. Everything they held, held sacred was torn away, and they had to figure out what does our relationship with the Lord look like when he no longer dwells in a specific place. So if you look through Acts chapter 7 right there, that's the summation of all these words. What did they say? They're like, look, this is Stephen. Stephen is against the law and the temple. And Stephen's like, let's go look at what the Bible says about the law and the temple. And by the time he's done, what Stephen says is like, you all have jacked it up so bad that you are confused. And to this, this is what I love. You know, I've got to end this sermon in a couple minutes. And you always are looking for a good sermon ending. But Stephen is like, how am I going to end my Bible sermon? Stephen ends his sermon as such. You stiff-necked people. And by the way, I have notes to do this at the end of my sermon. So preface. You stiff-necked people, you're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous ones, who predicted the coming of Jesus. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, and you've received the law that was given through the angels, but you have not obeyed it. I would mic drop that right there if I was Stephen. Because he wanted to be like, ow, I'm done. He went for the jugular, yo, right? Like, if you're going to end a sermon, you want to be like, now let me give you a happy thought. Stephen's like, no, 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 no. I went through biblical history to let you know that you all killed the Son of God. Nice going. Now, what the good part about the rest of the book of Acts is we see that despite that act, what does God always do? He turns it around. He takes something bad and makes it positive again. Even though God's own people killed the Messiah, he forgives them, right? He forgives us for when we are bad. This is the hope. This is a story. This is Jesus. Now, if after this sermon by a man who holds the greatest name ever, 
if I was writing the story, how would you write it? I would be like, then all the religious leaders said, oh man, he's right. We need to get baptized as quickly as possible because we need some Jesus in our life because we killed that man. Actually, if that sounds familiar, rewind back to Acts chapter 2 because that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Peter, Peter gives up, preaches a very similar sermon, and people are like, oh yeah, like that makes sense. We killed Jesus, what do we do? And Peter's like, get baptized. And then, you know, everybody's coming through and Peter's dunking people to where his hands are like water wrinkled because he's baptized too many people. It's like, this is a great story, right? We saw that in Acts chapter 2. However, in Acts chapter 7, this is what happens. At this, the religious leaders covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. They literally did, na 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 right? That's biblical. They all rushed at Stephen, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. This is not a drug reference. This is actual rocks thrown at somebody's body to the point that they are dead. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Does that sound familiar? Of Jesus on the cross saying they don't know what they're doing. And when he had said this, and this is the, he fell asleep. Luke, the author of this, lightens it up. He, he was killed. He was killed. Now, let's go back to Star Wars, which I don't know if that's, that's a great transition there, right? Don't like, I, I work that masterfully. I think the reasons why we like our movies the way they are is because they present a story that leaves us walking out, maybe a little skipping our step. Like, you know what, it was, it was tough there for a while, but it all came out well in the end. But the reality is, friends, is, is life really like that? So to which you might respond, respond, that's why I go to movies, is to escape from this miserable life, and touche, you win. But I would say that there are these moments, though, where understanding the difficulty of how the world is allows us to admit that it's tough and ultimately, from a Christian perspective, forces us to rely on Jesus because he's the one who redeems. Jesus doesn't automatically make your world better, but he provides meaning and a story that lets you know that it will not always be this bad. That is the point of eternity. The gospel is good news today, and there are good things that happen, but it will not be fully realized till all this is done, when there's no more tear, and no more pain, and more, no more hatred, that we find that message in what heaven is. Now, can I tell you the other thing about this is connected? Let's go from Star Wars to Stephen again, which, let's go from Star Wars to me. Because Stephen, if you do one of those word searches, like it's a Greek word, and it means crown, and, and the crown of it is not in a kingly crown, but it's supposed to be like, you know, how a, a runner would, uh, at the conclusion of a race, get a, a wreath that was supposed to be bestowed upon them for honor as a means of reward. Like, that is what Stephen meant. But you know what? I was just always wondering, because I had a birthday this last week, and I was like, I have never really found out why my parents named me Stephen. So at my birthday lunch, you know, I meet my, my mom still is just like, hey, let's meet for lunch because it's your birthday. I'm like, sure, you know, that's, that's cool stuff. So we go out to the La Rosa's because we're Westsiders and that's, that's highfalutin. And at the La Rosa's, and you preface everything with a the at the beginning of it when you're from the West Side. You know, it's, not, it's like the Kroger's. 
and you pluralize Kroger's even though it's not really that way. I digress. So at lunch with my mother, I was like, hey, mom, guess what I'm preaching on next week? Preaching on the story of Stephen. She's like, oh. I was like, yeah. I was like, it was crazy that you named me after like the first Christian martyr. Like a guy, she's because she's always like, man, I love that you're preaching. But I'm like, yeah, but is this all like designed so that I, I die because I want to preach? And I just said, like, mom, can you help me out with this? It's like, why am I named Stephen? And I'm just, wait, right? I want to hear a great story about I was in a church 60 years ago, and the preacher said this, and I was like, that's who it needs to be. You know, I, I wanted to hear this story about, actually, there was, there, there was a man named Stephen, and he wasn't the flashiest guy, but he lived his life for the Lord. I just want to hear the story. You know what? I was like, Mom, why did you name me Stephen? And her response was, I can't remember. You know, the reality is, so you know what that means? That in 1975, my expecting mother was probably watching the news some night, and somebody was named like Stephen. It could have been a serial killer for all we know, and she's like, that's a nice name. I'll name him Stephen. But I'm okay with this, because I think it illustrates how we view the world in which we live. Again, we want everything to make perfect sense, right? We want there to be something deeper. We want there to be meaning. But friends, Lizzo got it right. Sometimes truth hurts. Let me even stop that. I think almost all the time truth hurts. The, the, the preceding question that the high priest asked Stephen was, is this true? And you know what Stephen went through? Is at the end of it, he's, he did not actually declare whether or not the accusations of, against him were, were true or not, but he spewed a truth that was so offensive to people that they killed him. And that is my last Jedi elevation. That is the way that I look at my origin story for my name and can pick that up. Because, friends, sometimes the reality is, is it's just not as pretty as we want it to be. It's crazy uh, when you're on the social media at the end of the year going to the first year. Because what's funny is, is that, again, I don't know if it's just how we posture ourselves, but there's so many things I'm on social media. People are like, oh, thank God 2019's over. That was the worst year. And it's like, I just saw so many people having the worst year. And I'm just like, well, poor 2019. Like, nobody's going to, you know, level that. And then 2020 starts with all this, all this crazy world stuff. And you're like, 2019 was looking good. But I just say it is that I think it's all within the perspective that we lend ourselves to it. I think it's sometimes the story that we want and sometimes we dump on it. Friends, the truth is painful and it can be debilitating. Perhaps you've spoken truth to somebody recently and they have rejected it. Maybe they've rejected you as a result of the truth that you have put before them. And that's tough to do because we tell ourselves, if I do what's right, I'll be rewarded. If I steer clear from bad, I will be okay. And yet, when I do right and receive punishment as a result, it does not function well in my brain. In some ways, sometimes I even doubt the working of God in my life. But this is what I got to tell you. This is the story, not just of Stephen, but the entire scriptures and how it runs through Jesus. Friends, truth hurts, but Jesus heals. Jesus heals. That's the story of the Bible. We can labor and focus on the rejection. We can look 
at the horrible things that happened to people who did what was right. But we understand that at the end of the story, friends, Jesus heals. He makes it better. And upon the precipice of a new year, as you are writing your word of the year, setting your personal goals or your your dream board about what positive thing will happen, if it is not intertwined with a reality of Jesus' role in your life, then it will always be left wanting. Understand this. That doesn't mean that if you're with Jesus, just it all rolls out well for you. For some of us in this room, 2020 will be a great year of pain and loss and trial. And maybe we'll be the ones December 31st saying, thank God this year is over. But despite what is in front of you, understand who is with you. And that is what Jesus does. He doesn't take it all away, but he heals it. Not just what is ahead of us, but what is behind us. And maybe you're still, as you have these resonance of what happened the last few weeks, just thinking introspectively about what God is doing in your life. Maybe you have harbored serious pain that you have still not released in your life. And I'm telling you, friends, Jesus fixes that. He heals. Again, he doesn't take it all away. You'll still be bruised and battered, and you'll still have these memories. But, friends, Jesus heals. That's the story. He makes it better. First Peter Chapter 2, verse 24. One of Jesus' closest friends said, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. That's a message for you but it's a message for us. Can I tell you, that's the benefit of the church as we open up the book of Acts. This is a story about Stephen, but it was also about his place in the community of believers. Here at this church, we strive to be people who elevate Jesus. If you have baggage, it can be released. And we'll be here as you walk through that. I was going to say, if you have sin, but then (laughs) welcome. (laughs) Because the church is full of hypocrites, and here we are, but it's okay. Because Jesus heals. We as a church are pursuing Jesus for who he is. He was the Messiah. He fulfilled the law. He gives us good news today. And friends, he'll give you good news for eternity. For us here today, let's strive for that, not just in our life, but in our relationships with each other. Let's live this out collectively. Let's be the people that we're called to be and live in the truth. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to start our year together in worship. We thank you for the stories, the lessons from your church, from their growth into being, and Father, I find it comforting that there was a lack of perfection there. Makes me feel like I fit right in. And help us to do that. Father, if there are people here today that need to develop a robust relationship with you, we ask you to have your Holy Spirit move in them. Father, for those of us who feel like we're in a good place, just humble us. Help us to continually recognize the flaws in our own lives. 
And Father, we just pray for those who need to hear this message, that this year we as a church elevate you higher and higher. We become less, you become greater, because you are enthroned. You're the king. We give you worship and praise you in his name. Amen.